0: We will get to our scripture passage in just a moment. I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and turn to that passage, John's Gospel, chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 29, and we'll address that passage in just a moment. Sunday school teacher was leading her first grade class on Easter Sunday morning. And she wanted uh, the kids to understand what Easter was all about. So she said, uh, who can tell me what happens on Easter? And little Johnny raised his hand. He was eager to give the answer. He he shouted out, teacher, I know. And she said, well, what? What happened? She said, that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and he came walking out of the tomb. And the teacher says, Johnny, you're right. And she went on to something else. But Johnny wasn't done. He said, but teacher, wait. She says, what? So he comes walking out of the tomb, but then if he sees his shadow, he goes back in and we will have six more weeks of winter. That's not quite the way Scripture records it, is it? You know, we all know what happened on Easter morning, and and that's the highlight of of the day, but I, I think sometimes we forget or we overlook the fact that That wasn't all that happened. As a matter of fact, for the next 40-some-odd days, Jesus makes several appearances to the disciples and to others. He shows up. And the reason for these appearances is not just to to wow everybody. We come to understand as we look at them that they were carefully planned and they were intentionally designed for a specific purpose. Purpose, each one of them, and, and so we're taking the Sundays in April, and we're looking at the the post resurrection appearances of Jesus. Last Sunday we looked at the first, the walk, the the two men on their walk to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus. This morning we're going to take a look at the second appearance. It's in John's Gospel. Actually, uh, this is two appearances close together, and, but we're looking at them together because they serve the same purpose. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, let's stand together as we hear the reading of God's Word. <coughs> Beginning with verse 19. When it was evening of that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews... Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. There's an outline that will help you look at God's word together. Now, there's a lot going on in this story. But when we take the time to analyze it and sort through it, and wheel it down, we, we can discover that there is one underlying purpose for this appearance. And here it is. Jesus wants them to know that their lives are about to change forever. You see, the power of the entire universe, the destiny of human history, is in that room behind those locked doors. It could not remain there. The story had to be told. That truth could not be contained. They had to leave that house and so Jesus says... As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He is giving them a mission. He is sending them out into the world so that the world will know what God has done. You see, behind locked doors is no place for disciples to be. This appearance was to let them know that he was sending them out. As much as they might have wanted to stay in that house, as much as they might have wanted to, to gather up other believers and, and built a a warm, cozy, comfortable fellowship where they hung out together, and reminisced about how great the last three years had been, in spite of the fact that they would have much preferred probably to stay insulated in that house behind those locked doors, they were given instructions that were different. Jesus is sending them out into a world that in many ways was going to be hostile to the message they had to tell. Something we need to understand about this mission and this appearance. This mission is not just theirs. It is ours. As disciples in our day, as he said to them, I am sending you, he says the same thing to you and me. Now, this causes some has some implications that can be somewhat unsettling for us. You see, in in many ways, we're kind of like them. We like together with with one another. We like to get together in our our church. We love the, the comfort and the sense of security of our Sunday school class and our and our small group. We just love getting together as church family. But, if we are not careful, our church can become the locked doors of the Scriptures. It can become, if we're not careful, that place where we gather to insulate ourselves from the rest of the outside world. But the truth of the matter is, as much as we love coming here to worship and sing and to visit with one another, this is not Christ's primary objective for us. His primary purpose is for us to leave here and go to where we're sent. And the only value, really, of anything that happens in here is that it equips us to leave here. I told you this had some difficult implications for us. You see, we love coming to our church. We love getting together with church friends. We just love it. But, and it's important. That's very important. But it's not meant to be the most important. You see, your greatest responsibility to God is not met by your coming here. Your greatest responsibility is met when you leave here and you get out. There. Where is there? There is anywhere other than here. Anytime you're not here, wherever that is, that's where God wants you to be sharing Christ and His love and His truth to others. Think about it this way. Think about an airport. An airport is not a destination. It's a terminal. And the purpose of an airport is you go to an airport, and then it, it's where you go to go somewhere else to reach your destination. But it itself is not a destination. For example, suppose you have some family who lives on the other side of the country, and and they're going to come to Atlanta for their vacation. So they say, "Yeah, we're, we're flying into Atlanta. We're going to spend a week in Atlanta on vacation." So you're saying you're going to say, "Well, what are you going to do? You're going to take in uh, some of the restaurants downtown. You're going to go to uh, Centennial Park. You're going to visit Stone Mountain, maybe. Maybe you're going to go to Six Flags. You're going to go to some of the museums downtown. What are you going to do?" Oh, we're not doing any of that. We're just going to stay at the airport. What would you say to your your family? You lost your mind. The airport is not a destination. It is a place that you go to that gets you to your ultimate destination. The church is just like that. The church is not a destination. The church, like that airport, is a place we go to that we are then directed to what our destination happens to be. That's what God intends for the church, the place that we go to in order to get directions to to where we are being sent. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times, we are prone to see our church as a destination. It's the place we go to for spiritual insight. It's the place we go to for help with life problems. It's the place we go to for worship. And we like it so much that the tendency is to to kind of settle in. And we get so comfortable sometimes that we hardly even think about our instructions to go. Should we love our church? Absolutely. But we should never forget that the mission, the main mission and function of our church is to equip us to be sent and to go. And that's what Jesus is telling them here. You can't, you can't isolate yourself behind these locked doors. The, the, the message that you possess, the truth that you have experienced, it is way too important for you guys to hide behind these locked doors. I'm sending you out. And that's what he does for us. Now, Jesus has just laid a huge responsibility on them. And so he's not going to just send them out without giving them something very important to succeed. He knows they're going to need two things, and so here's what he does. He knows, first of all, that they have to have any doubt about who he is erased. He knows there's no way that they can go out and effectively witness And tell the world about Jesus unless they are absolutely convinced in every fiber of their being that Jesus really is alive, that he really is who he said he was. And so what's he do? He shows up behind the closed doors and he says, All right, guys, look. Look at my wounds. Look at my side. This is me. And the disciples, all they have to do is look, and they're convinced. Any doubt, disappears. Well, Thomas wasn't there. We know that. So... Uh, They go to Thomas and they say, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, Huh? I'm not going to believe it unless I see it myself. And I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I can put my hand in his side. Put my hand in his. So, eight days later, isn't it interesting, eight days and the disciples are still hiding out behind locked doors. Jesus shows up. And he says, Thomas, come here. Put your hand to my side. See for yourself that it's me. And Thomas says, oh, my Lord, and my God. Just seeing was believing. And doubting Thomas became convinced Thomas. Now, Why was it important for Jesus to do this? Why was it important for him to release, to erase their doubt? Why is it important for us? Folks, if we have any hope of having a witness in the world that is believable, we have got to believe it ourselves. We have got to believe with every fiber of our being that Jesus Christ died he rose. He lives. He is God with us. And if we have any ambiguity about that, any doubt about that, our witness in the world will never gain any traction. We can't win the world to Christ by telling them about somebody we think who might be alive. Who might have risen from the dead. We aren't going to win people. People aren't going to come to faith in Christ by us saying, uh, let me tell you about, about this Jesus. You know, he could be, he, he might be the Son of God. but We're not sure. We'll have to have, if our witness is to be effective when God sends us out, our witness will have to have greater boldness and confidence and conviction in which there's absolutely no shred of doubt in our minds. You and I live in a day and age, sadly, when the church in America has lost a lot of its influence in our culture. The voice of the church just doesn't really matter as much as it used to. There are are lots of reasons for that, but you know, one of the reasons I'm convinced, one of the most prevalent reasons is this. Is that we in the American church, we become a group of people who we don't know what we believe about Jesus. You ask some pastors and congregations, did Jesus really rise from the dead? You get all kind of answers. Some will say, well, no, that's just religious myth that the church created to keep its movement going. Some will say, well, you know, no, he didn't really rise from the dead, but here's what happened. The disciples were so eager for him to rise from the dead that they kind of manufactured it in their own minds. In their minds he rose, and they experienced him, him as alive, but that's pretty much the extent of it. You have some pastors and congregations in America today. Is Jesus truly the Son of God? And therefore, is he the only way of salvation? You're going to get all kinds of answers. Some will say, well, of course not. Jesus was a great religious leader, but Son of God, you know, can we really say that? He he is certainly a way to salvation, but we can't really say he is the way to salvation. A church that doesn't know what it believes about Jesus and the gospel, is not going to make an effective witness, a convincing witness in the world. Jesus knew that. And that's why, before he sends them out, he erases any doubt as to who he is. He does that for us. But that's not all he did. He knew that for them to be successful, that they were going to need a power beyond their own to keep them motivated, to keep them faithful, to keep them strong, to keep them courageous, and to give them the strength to do what he was asking them to do. So what's he doing? Look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Don't miss what is happening here. Folks, the Holy Spirit is not some warm feeling about Jesus. It's not some emotional memory of Jesus. It is the life and the power of Jesus imparted into us by Jesus. Nothing less. And when he breathed on them, there was a transfer of power so that from that moment on, Jesus no longer was with them. Jesus was in them. And they knew it and they felt it. And that catapulted them into leaving that place and boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you, the moment you accept Jesus Christ, the moment you make Him Lord of your life, if that's an authentic move on your part, you are given something very, very precious. You're given not only God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness, but you are given the Holy Spirit who dwells in you don't let anybody tell you that to possess the Holy Spirit, you've got to have some particular religious experience or you've got to have some particular religious spiritual gift. Don't believe that at all. That's not biblical. God's Word lets us know that when we, in Christ, we are complete. And when we accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, which is His life and His power, is transferred, is imparted in to us. Now, He may not be very active in some of us. He may want a whole lot more of our attention. He may not be released currently to do a whole lot of work, but He dwells in you. Now, when you understand that, the Holy Spirit gives you power. He increases your desire for prayer. He increases your desire for worship. He gives you the capacity of compassion and enables you to go in boldness and proclaim your witness for Christ in the world. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is allowed to work in you, you can leave here and you can go out there with confidence be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. You see, when you know the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you come to discover you can pray with that person in the office. You can pray for that person in the classroom. You can pray for that person you're worried about. You can serve meaningfully and purposefully in God's church. You can show compassion and genuine care for somebody who's hurting. It's the Holy Spirit that brings you here, and it's the Holy Spirit that equips you to go from here. You know, sometimes we measure a church's effectiveness by how many people come to worship. We make a big deal about worship attendance. That's an important statistic. But I think perhaps a far more important measure than how many come to worship is how many people who come to worship then go out and serve because they know they're sent to be a witness for Christ. My prayer is that for us, that both of those numbers will always be increasing. So this second appearance was to let them know they were being sent. It's still His mission for us. So let's continue to love our church. Let's continue to long for opportunities to be together in the fellowship of believers let's continue to enjoy our Sunday school and our small groups and our Wednesday night suppers and all the other things that we do but may we never forget that is not the primary objective Jesus has for us he sends us out and the only value of anything that happens in here is what it does to equip us to go out there. I would encourage you to spend this afternoon asking yourself, where is God sending me? Let's pray together. Oh, well, God, we're so grateful for. The privilege of being a part of this movement that you launched through Jesus Christ. The world desperately needs the gospel. And we are those entrusted with this message. And so help us, O oh God, to guard against those times when we might choose to isolate ourselves from the world out there. And realize it is that world out there for which we are sent. You have a love for those people out there. You have a, your heart aches and yearns for all people to know who you are. And when you see people outside the fellowship of your church, outside a knowledge and an understanding of your love and your grace, your heart aches. And so in this appearance and in numerous other examples we could give throughout Scripture, you send us, you send us, you send us. So, Father, we just pray this morning that we'll uh, understand that we're a sent people. And there's work to be done. but oh, what joy there is when knowing, when we know. that something we said or something we did, or some relationship we cultivated, was a piece of a puzzle that brought another son or daughter of yours into saving knowledge of you. In the name and spirit of Christ, we pray. Amen.